You're listening to the Avenue Church Podcast. Our desire is that this message will inspire you to encounter Jesus and find a better way to do life. For more info and to connect with us, visit us online at theavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening. Good morning. How's everybody doing? That's very encouraging to hear. Yes. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Chase Brown. This is my second week in a row to be able to preach back in my hometown of Waxahachie, Texas, and I'm thrilled to be here. It's a good town. Clap for the town. I'm glad to be here. If you do not know this, I am the son of the senior pastor of the Avenue Church, David Brown, and he is on what is called a sabbatical, meaning he has extended time away from the things of the Avenue Church. And you know what? He's thriving in it. I'm joking. He's struggling. It is hard for him. My mom got after him yesterday because he was responding to an email, and that's against the rules, and he's not supposed to be doing that. But his heart is here, but it's a really cool thing to be a church that's able to send its senior pastor, who's been here for over 30 years, on an extended time and realize that we're fine. (laughs) Not to discredit his ministry. He's done amazing things. He's an amazing preacher, pastor, has a heart for the people. But the church is bigger than one personality, isn't it? I'm here, I'm here today, and the church that I'm the pastor of, Kaleo Phoenix, is fine. They're probably happy that I'm gone right now. It's a little too intense in that small room that we meet in at times. But it's really cool that he's able to go on sabbatical, that the church is still the collective of individuals in the community, and Ennis, Waxahachie, those watching online. So we're thankful to be here. I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach to you. I'm going to be in the second week of Acts chapter 2. For those of you who were not here last week, where were you? Shame on you. But if you want to go check it out, you can go to theavenuechurch.com and watch that. But I'm going to give you a brief overview of what we talked about last week. In Acts chapter 2, we have the followers, the friends, the disciples of Jesus, a rabbi who came to Jerusalem with the following. And because of the way that he taught, the way that he lived, the things that he said, got himself killed. The people in authority, the powers that be, Caesar, the governors, and then the religious elite themselves had a vendetta against Jesus because he was saying things that were not the way it was supposed to be. It defied their expectations. And when you take the expectations of people and you change it, they tend to respond in negative ways. And this happened to get Jesus killed. His friends and followers were locked in a room, scared for their lives because there was a bounty on their head. They had come from the region of Galilee where they walked a few days to get to Jerusalem. And as Jesus was crucified on the cross, they were paralyzed in fear, only to find out a few days later that Jesus was in fact alive. What a story. Jesus had conquered sin, the greatest foe of human existence, and came back to life and met his followers there and stayed with them for 40 days. But what he said to them was extremely important. He said, hey, I'm going to be with you for a short time, but there's another one that is coming, one that is greater than I that will guide you. And so Jesus goes up into the sky, and it's an incredible experience. And he says to them, do not leave Jerusalem Mind you, there's a price on their head in Jerusalem. This is not a place that they want to be. Don't leave here until you receive what I have promised you. 
Last week, we talked about this receiving of the gift of the Spirit of God. And today, we're going to focus on a central question asked in just one verse, and we're going to spend our time here today. They're in a room praying together, waiting, waiting, waiting for what Jesus has said. When all of a sudden, like a violent wind and the sound of of wind blowing and fire descending upon them, they receive the promise Jesus had declared and they begin to speak of the things, the wonders of God. People were from all over the known world who were pilgrimage on pilgrimage in Jerusalem to celebrate for the festival of weeks, the Pentecost. And they heard these things and they gathered around and they rushed to hear what was happening. And they were surprised to hear in their native tongues, these fishermen, these country people speaking these foreign languages of places they had never been. People who had never gone to school. People whose hands were calloused with pulling of nets and work. People whose bellies were not full. People who had no business speaking their languages were speaking. And what were they saying? The things of God. So they got together and they asked themselves this question, and we're going to ask this so many times today. What does this mean? What does this mean? They're seeing a supernatural, mystical thing happening in front of their minds, and all they want to do is compute and calculate what does this mean? Will you all pray with me? Jesus, we ask you that today. What does this mean? Why are we here? What is the purpose? What is the point? God, we pray that just we become attuned to your spirit here in this room that's present in a way that you give us this meaning that we cannot articulate ourselves, that you guide us as we pursue this question, as we look to your story and our stories themselves. And we become receptive and sensitive to that movement. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's an incredible story, isn't it? The story of Jesus coming, putting on the flesh, walking around, saying crazy things that people don't understand, completely defying expectations, healing people, feeding people, and then dying willingly and then coming back to life. Now, I want to tell you another story that's not even near as dramatic, but to me, it was pretty dramatic in the moment. But just just journey with me for a moment. About a month ago, around Memorial Day, my sister and her two kids came to visit my wife and my kids. It was kind of a last-minute trip. They just wanted to see us. And they jumped on a plane, and they came out. And In Phoenix on Memorial Day, it's very hot and we don't have a pool because our church isn't big enough for the pastor to have a pool yet. Um, It's very sad. We suffer so much to give the word of God to you. It's a calling, guys. It's a calling. So we're trying to find a pool, but what happens is everybody in Phoenix is looking for a pool that does not have a pool. And so you have what's called resort passes. All the resort passes were were taken up and the ones that were there were extremely expensive. So my brilliant wife and my sister, who are way more competent than I am and plan way better than I do, decide, let's just book a room at a hotel since there's so many of us. And that's what they did. They booked a room at the Marriott Desert Ridge in Scottsdale. Very nice, 
very bougie, all of the things. And we go there, and there's this lazy river, there's a slide, there's multiple pools, there's a golf course I wanted to play, but I was being present as a dad. There was all these things that we liked, but when we got to the room, we realized, oh, this is really nice. And without the forethought of thinking, oh, it'd be nice to stay in the room that we bought, we weren't planning on staying the night, and so a new plan was made. I would hang out with the kids. We'd all hang out together. And then when it came time to get ready for dinner, my wife would go back home and get her tackle box of beauty stuff for her to go to sleep in because she didn't come prepared for the stuff. And I would stay with the kids and then I would take our youngest son back home to Phoenix while they all got to stay in this awesome hotel room. And so that's what we did. We hung out by the pool. We go up. It's been a long day. We're a little bit sunburned, but we're also experts because we live in the sun. So we were sunscreened up and we get up into this room and my wife leaves and my sister's getting ready in the bathroom and I sit and we watch TV with all the little kids. So we're sitting there on season five of Breaking Bad, finding out what's happening. I'm joking. I'm joking. We wouldn't do that with our five-year-old in the room. Only a six-year-old can watch that. Now we're watching Paw Patrol and, and my sister's getting ready and Ellen's back home getting her gear. And we decided to go down for dinner And my sister's ready now. The kids are up, they're dressed, we're ready to go. And like a tornado, we leave the room and there's yelling, there's excitement, there's fighting over who's gonna push the button at the elevator. So they all run down to the elevator place and they push the button. There's a fight over it. John Allen's following us, having no idea what's going on. He's my two-year-old, by the way. And we get into the elevator and we go down and my sister and I are in some really deep theological conversations because we only speak of the things of God when we are together trying to figure this out, you know, the best way we can as Christians, as Christ followers. And the doors open to the lobby and the older kids storm off and my sister and I deep in conversation walk off this elevator and look back and my two-year-old is moseying to the door. He's coming, but he's taking his time. But what happens is the elevator door begins to shut. I'm quick, but not that quick. So I put my hand to stop it and the door shut. So I push the button really quick and another elevator opens. And we haven't seen him since. He's taken into the abyss and I jump on the other elevator and I go to floor three because I don't know, maybe he knows where our room is. He's two, I don't know, maybe he's a prodigy. And I get to the third floor and it opens and there's this teenage boy and he says, are you looking for a baby? (laughs) So, yes, actually I am. Could you kindly point me to where you last saw him? He said, he's with my mom. Who's your mom? Why does she have my son? What is going on? So she, he gets on the phone with his mom, says, hey, she, she took him to the lobby and found his mom. I'm like, Her, his mom's not here. So I go down to the lobby, to the bottom, and he's not with my sister, which I thought maybe there's confusion. She thought it was his mom. We get down and I look over on this balcony where the check-in is because it's like a lower lobby where we're at for the restaurant. We look up and my wife in her divine timing is holding my two-year-old looking at me. (laughs) And that's the day I gave my life to the Lord. (laughs) I lost the 
kid. And, you know, that's the first mistake I think I've made as a dad, so I'm doing okay. Yes, yeah, you can clap for that. He's safe and sound. But as I tell you that story, I think many of you have similar stories of losing a child or being lost as a child or, or something like that. Your brain is kind of computing the things that has happened in your life to relate to this story. Because a story is something so deeply human that when we hear them, our brains release chemicals that makes us engage in stories. You were laughing. That is called endorphin release. You love endorphins. We love endorphins. That's why we watch comedies. That's why we tell funny stories. That's what jokes are for. Then you want to hear what's going to happen, what's going on, what's the next detail. Did they find the sun? That's the release of dopamine. That's the edge of the seat listening to when you're hearing a story. And we love dopamine, don't we? And then there's this chemical called oxytocin, which is released when we empathize with somebody, which many of you have lost your children. Raise your hand if you've lost your... I'm just kidding. You can though. And that's empathy. So we relate and we attach ourselves to hearing the stories that other people tell. We enjoy stories. We relate to them because stories are as old as time and humanity itself. The campfire where food is cooked, us cooking our food as humans gave us the ability to chew less, meaning we can talk more. Some of you wish we hadn't have gotten to that point to where we're chewing less so that some people would just shut up. But... We talk more. Therefore, language is created by the fact that we cook our food and we sit around the fire together and we tell stories. Linguistics is storytelling. Our languages are come from us telling stories to the point to where it was oral around the fire. Then it was written on stone and cave and then tablets and then papyri and then and paper. And then there was a thing called the Gutenberg Press. And then mass information of stories became available. And with the ability to read and engage in more stories, civilization began to completely change and grow and adapt. And now we have, at the touch of our finger, the access to countless stories. Stories we are wired to hear. Even when we're alone and not engaging in story with ourselves, we're still engaging in stories unless we're sleeping, which in our brain is still telling us stories as it fragments through our minds. In fact, Netflix has over 200 million subscribers. And this is pre-pandemic information that I got. 200 million subscribers, revenue of $25 billion a year. In 2018, The Office, which is a story, it releases endorphins, it is fun, we empathize, all of the things that we engage with, was watched collectively 52 billion minutes in 2018. Those 52 billion minutes of the office are the equivalent to 99,103 years of humanity collecting one particular story. Strand. Audible, where you listen to books and stories, has over a billion dollars of revenue a year and over 700 million books are sold each year. Hard copy. We are on Amazon and we are story collecting people because we love stories. 
And even when we go out to restaurants, which the restaurant industry has been booming, the bar industry, the coffee shop industry booming because not necessarily they have good things and a product that they offer, but because it's a meeting place where we sit down and we engage with one another in a way that we collide our own stories with other people's stories. You sit down with a friend over coffee and then you share, can you believe what's her name did that the other day? You know what my boss said to me that I'm really bothered by? You want to know what happened to my sister and me the other day when we lost my son? We tell the stories. We, we're wondering who's cheating who and who's being true and who don't even care anymore. <laughs> I am very appreciative to be back here in Texas where you understand an Alan Jackson reference. I, I said that exact same thing in Phoenix and got nothing. <laughs> and it made me homesick. So thank you very much. I, I had a feeling that was going to work here. But it's true. We're wondering. We're talking. We're storytellers and we're story hearers. And we engage with it and our brains are wired a certain way to have an inclination to partake in one another's stories. Why is that? Well, it goes back to the Acts chapter 2, 12. We are created to find meaning. And story is the vehicle that carries with it meaning. The way in which Jesus continually preached when asked what the kingdom of heaven was like, what did he do? Did he explain what the, the streets of gold in heaven looked like and what the throne room looked like and how the angels worshiped God the Father, where he came from, what it was like pre-creation with, what were y'all doing, you three, hanging out together but all one at the same time that confuses us all? What was going on? No, Jesus tells us stories. What is the kingdom of heaven like? Well, it's like a son going to a father and asking for his inheritance. He goes off and he squanders his inheritance and he lives a lavish hedonistic lifestyle based on carnal pleasures. And his friends were with him, but they were with him for their own selfish means. And eventually he loses it all. His friends, his pleasure, and he's starving, broken in the mud. And he realizes something. Even the servants at my father's household eat better than I do. I'm going to go back. And what is the kingdom of heaven like? It's like the father seeing his son approaching, hiking up his tunic and sprinting as fast as an old man can to accept and forgive the broken son. Story. What is the kingdom of heaven like? It is like a man who is beaten on a road, left for dead. There are other people, Jewish men who walk by and they look at him and they go to the other side of the road because they have big important things to do. When all of a sudden this very hated other, the Samaritan man, looks at this man on the side of the road and he picks him up and he cares for him and he spares no expense to help this person become okay and healthy and redeemed and that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. But the thing is, who is Jesus in this story? Is it the Samaritan? I don't think so. But the bleeding man on the side of the road. 
Jesus had a way of telling stories that defied the expectation of what was going to happen and shock people into greater understanding of what God is like. And scripture as a whole is a collection of stories that helps us understand what everything means. What is God like? What is God like? Well, as we go through them, we see that God creates and gives breath and gives life and he loves us. But at the same time, we know that we have brokenness in our own stories. And in this brokenness, God time and time again comes in and intercedes into history and tries to tell his people what he's like, which is I love you. And humanity continues to choose another story. It gets all the way to the point to where in God's desperation to accept our brokenness into his story, he puts on the flesh of humanity and participates temporally in the story of human suffering. To the point to where as he's telling what God is like, as he's become one of us, as he's engaged in our stories, he gets himself killed. And the climax of human history breathes its last breath on the cross. God, the story of God is a dramatic one, isn't it? It's one that we can engage with. And that's what we are here doing as a community together today is we're engaging in the stories of God. And we know because we've received the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't, you can receive the Holy Spirit in a way like a fog, a mist that's enveloping a forest. It's everywhere present and Still, we can't quite obtain it and hold it and grasp it, but we ask the question, what does this mean? In 1942, a young doctor and his bride and his family were taken from their hometown of Vienna and they were placed in the Nazi concentration camps. They were Jewish. And this man was a young doctor, a psychotherapist, one who was writing groundbreaking work on psychology. And when he was in these concentration camps, he had in his pocket sewed in his work that he had taken with him that at the last minute he had to discard so he didn't risk his life even further when he was taken to the camp Auschwitz. He spends his remaining time at the camps trying to recreate the work that he had lost. And in doing so, he observed the prisoners of the camp. Now, if you want to talk about the most dramatic way to see suffering in real time, going to Nazi Germany, Holocaust concentration camp is up there, if not the very top. And he observed men and women. And in his observations, one day he was walking a pre-dawn march where people fall out or shot or killed. A man asked the question, I wonder what's happened to my wife. And in that, he had this glimpse of clarity as he too wondered about his own wife. And he realized when there is something beyond ourselves or hope for this future, there becomes meaning in life. And when we have meaning in life, we are able to withstand any amount of torture and pain and circumstance. We, in fact are created for meaning. This is Viktor Frankl, a famous psychologist who's done groundbreaking work, but he realized that men and women were created to be people who find meaning. And when we find meaning, we find hope. 
So let's go back to our own stories for a moment. Zoom out of your life in this space right now. What is the story that you've written? Now, the fact that you have breath in your lungs and you're here today, I'm assuming there's been brokenness that has entered into your story. I'm assuming that there is shame that follows you like a dark cloud that pours onto even the moments where you have fleeting joy. I'm sure you've struggled with addiction, depression, anxiety, isolation, loneliness, the things that humans go through. And whether you have experienced any of those things personally, you being a person sitting in a room next to somebody has somebody in your life that you love who has gone through the ringer. And our stories are shards of broken pieces that we come together in the church and we see and we lay out and we ask the question, what does this mean? God, if there's this much suffering, why did you even create in the first place? The brokenness, the pain, the suffering is a very real thing. But then, as people together in a room, opening up the word of God to hear what God is like, we get to hear a different story, a better one, a better story. And what is that story? That God loved us enough to put on our flesh, to be filled with blood, have tendons connecting tissue, to have lungs that breathed in and out, and to suffer along with us. In fact, God loved us so much that he refused to be God without us. So desperately, he came and dwelt among us and it got him killed because the way of God was not the way of the broken story. He had a whole story. And in engaging in the broken story, he took those shards, your story, your story, her story, and his story. And he mended them together with his own breath known as the Holy Spirit and said, there is a better story. There's a better story. If that's not the definition of hope, I don't know what is. There's a better story. And as we unfold in our actions and the way in which we live our lives, this engagement with the better story is what is known as salvation. We get to live in our salvation right now in this divine narrative that is not over at this point. Aristotle says a story has a beginning, middle, and end. We are still living in this middle. And a lot of times we look at the middles of our lives and we become so fixated on what has happened or what we hope will happen that we miss the very fact that we are living in the middle. The ebbs and flows of the divine narrative, the climaxes, the thing, the things that reveal the wonders of God being able to participate in this story. Anyone, everyone, and therefore there's hope. And with that hope, we can endure all things. We find meaning while we're faithful in the middle. So as God's story collides with our own, things start to happen in our hearts and in our minds. And the perspective in which we see the world begins to change. I don't know if you've experienced this or not. But all of a sudden, those others that are hated, you begin to see a little bit more with grace and mercy. The 
world in which you see it begins to be saturated with this divine love that you can't actually quite explain, but it changes and it transforms and your perspective in which you see the story as a whole is empowered and enabled by the spirit of God himself. So let me return to the story we started out with this morning with my son on the elevator from a different perspective. One time there's a two-year-old boy who had a fun day playing in the water and riding in a lazy river and playing with his mommy and daddy and sisters and cousins. And he goes up and he watches Paw Patrol, his favorite. He calls it Go-Go. He's watching Paw Patrol and all of a sudden everybody gets up and he gets stressed and he's put on that which he hadn't chose. And the door opens and all the big ones run out and he wants to do whatever they're doing. And he runs out with them, but he's a little slower, so he's left behind. And so he follows his dad and his aunt as they get to this mystery box that changes the location and scenery, takes you to another place altogether. And he steps into this mystery box and he so desperately wants to push the button, but it's already been pushed and he's been punched for trying to push out a line before, so he keeps his little hand to himself and he sits back and he waits. The door opens and the flood, just like the hotel room, goes forth of little baby energy. They run out and his aunt and his father are having a conversation of gibberish. He has no idea what they're saying, but again, he follows. As he follows this mystery box, plays an evil trick on him and the door begins to shut and the last thing he sees is his father desperately reaching and losing him entirely for the first time the door shut and he is utterly alone wondering will I ever see my father again the door opens and it's not his father it's a strange prepubescent boy and his mom and pick up, even though he doesn't want to be picked up by the stranger, he is taken into the arms of this stranger and they push the button to the mystery box again and the door opens and he is being taken where he doesn't want to go. He doesn't know what's going on. He just wants his father. And in the hotel light, the doors open. He sees this beautiful woman that he knows by the name Nani. She comes in and she takes him from the stranger's arm and he grabs her in a way that he's never been able to understand before, but there's something meaningful about it that his little brain can't compute. And his nani takes him to the edge and looks down and his father was in the same place that he left him. He never left him. The elevator door is just shut. He returns to his father and the group of kids and they go to the table, the great feast of heaven, and he gets his chicken nuggies. <laughs> and everything is okay. That's what the kingdom of God is like. That is what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus, we're so thankful that we get to engage in your story in meaningful ways, God. Ways that sometimes we don't understand God, while we ascribe meaning to all things, God, we pray that we do so through your lens, 
God, aided by your scripture, by your presence of your spirit, by your breath, God, measured by who you were walking in the flesh. God, and we're so thankful that there's a better story. God, is my prayer right now as you're full in this room that those who have the broken story who have not collided with yours yet, God, that you will soften their hearts, their minds and their souls, and you will engage with them in a way that gives them wholeness. God, sweep over this room and continue to inbreak your divine narrative because we know there is no better story ever written. Guys, we faithfully live out the middles of our lives, working out our salvation guided by you. God, we collectively come together and we collide with each other's stories and we go from these places and we tell the wonders of who you are as we share what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Our hope is that this message inspires you to encounter Jesus and find a better way to do life. We'd love to hear from you and get you connected on your journey. Visit theavenuechurch.com connect to get started. To hear the latest from us, don't forget to subscribe. See you soon.